There are some characters in the pages of the New Testament that we get to know reasonably well. Uh, we hear enough from them, we see them doing enough that we kind of feel like we know them. And the Apostle Peter is certainly one of those characters. He's there all the way through the Gospels. He's there in the first half of the book of Acts. He's one of the main characters in the pages of the New Testament. Peter's kind of the self-appointed leader of the disciples. He's the one who regularly turns up as the spokesman when we're reading through the Gospels. But he's also on that inner circle of the disciples, that when Jesus is only taking two or three people with him to do something, Peter's one of those two or three. But when it comes to getting things wrong or misunderstanding or just being a plain buffhead, well, Peter's got plenty of runs on the board in that department. Um, let me give you some of the highlights from uh, the Gospels of Peter kind of misunderstanding or getting it wrong. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, after a long night of fishing and not catching anything, Jesus tells them to drop the nets over the other side of the boat. And Peter basically says, says to Jesus, Jesus, why don't you leave the fishing to the experts? We know what we're doing. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to Jerusalem so that Jesus can be crucified, arrested and crucified on the cross. Peter pulls him aside and says, that's not the way the plan is going to work out. Just before Jesus goes to the cross, he tells Peter, Satan's going to sift you. You're going to have a tough time through this whole thing. And Peter insists that he's ready to go to prison. He's even ready to face death for his faith in Jesus. But just a few hours after that, he denies even knowing Jesus three times. But even though Peter gets it wrong, one of the great things about him, one of the really likeable things about his character is that he gets there in the end. He ultimately does realise what it is that God is doing, what it is that God is doing in the world. And we've got one of those passages again today here in Acts. Uh, we see P Peter getting it wrong, but again, he gets there in the end. He does understand what it is that God is doing. But before we look at this passage in Acts, there's a couple of things that we need to be clear about so that we can understand what's going on here. When you read through the pages of the Old Testament, there are two things that are stressed all the way through the pages of the Old Testament. The first is this, Israel are God's chosen people. The descendants of Abraham are the special nation that God has chosen. But the second thing is this. God's plan was always that there would be other nations that would be included. People from every tribe, every language, every tongue who would be a part of God's people. So even right back at the very beginning when God chose Abraham, he said to Abraham, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants, and particularly one descendant, that descendant being Jesus. God intended his plan of salvation was that it would always go way beyond national Israel. But the people of Israel, as we read through the pages of the Old Testament, started to cling to that notion that they alone were God's chosen people. And they weren't terribly inclined to welcome terribly many others in. When we open up to the pages of the New Testament, we see that that attitude is still there. Uh, the Jews believe that they are the ones that, if you can trace your ancestry back to Abraham, then you're in. They still think that they alone are God's people. But Jesus comes along and starts saying something 
quite different to that. He starts saying that salvation doesn't hinge on your ancestry, it hinges on whether or not you place your trust in me. Salvation is for everyone, Jesus says. Now, the apostles of Jesus, well, they kind of understand that. I mean, when Peter stands up at Pentecost, he says there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. He knows that it's about faith in Jesus. But there's still this problem of thinking that faith in Jesus is really just for the descendants of Abraham, that the message is just for those who can trace their ancestry back to Abraham. What we see in the book of Acts is that there are many Jewish Christians who can't quite get on board with God's program. They can't quite understand what it is that God is doing. They're not sure about this whole thing of Gentiles being saved and being included among God's people. They're continuing to think that God's people are national Israel, Abraham's descendants. Sure, faith in Jesus, but faith in Jesus for those who are descended from from Abraham. Now, Jesus encountered this kind of thinking during his own ministry as well. I mean, he told parables that were supposed to help people get over that thinking. Uh, The parable of the prodigal son. We've got a a son who goes away and lives in a foreign land and a son who stays. I'm sure that's supposed to represent Israel and the Gentiles. And when when the son who's strayed, when the son who's blown all the inheritance comes back, he's welcomed into the family. Parables like the parable of the workers in the vineyard. There's the workers who've been there the whole 12 hours and then there's the ones who've just been there for one hour. I'm sure the 12 hour workers are supposed to represent the descendants of Abraham who've been with God all that time and the one hour guys, well the 12 hour guys are complaining about the one hour guys saying how come they got paid as much as we did? But there's plenty of other places where Jesus addresses this as well. Sits down and talks to the Samaritan woman at the well, praises the Syrophoenician woman for her faith tells the disciples that he's got sheep that are not part of this sheep pen, that they're from elsewhere, commends the Roman centurion for his faith and says it'd be great if there were people in Israel who had faith like yours. And the list goes on and on. Jesus had repeatedly tried to show it's not just about national Israel. The kingdom of God is much bigger than that. Now, all of that does have something to do with the passage in Acts that we're having a look at today. It's Acts chapter 10. And right at the beginning, we're introduced to a character by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius is clearly a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He's a centurion. He looks after, it's not just a general group that he's looking after, it's the Italian regiment. And he's the head of that regiment. He's described as being a God-fearing man. He's a man who believes and trusts the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And it's not just Cornelius who believes, it's his whole family who are described as being God-fearing. They have this genuine faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And do you know how you can tell it's a genuine faith? You can tell because it impacts their life. It shapes the way that they live. Look at what it says right at the beginning of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Here is a man who has this genuine faith. But he's uncircumcised. He's a Gentile. He's unclean. He wouldn't be welcomed at the temple in Jerusalem. 
In fact, people wouldn't even associate with him because that would make them unclean and they certainly wouldn't have a meal with him. Well, Cornelius hears a voice of an angel and he's told to send for a man in Joppa by the name of Peter. So Cornelius does what he's told. And then in verse 9, the scene changes. We see Peter, who's staying in Joppa at the time, and he's shown a vision. And this is the vision that he sees. A sheep is lowered down from heaven, and it has all kinds of animals on it. Now, Jewish food laws were a very important part of life for people in the pages of the Old Testament. And he's shown all of these animals that are unclean, and the voice says to him, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And have a look at what Peter says. Oh, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. I mean, you've got to love the guy, haven't you? He's telling God, no, you've got that wrong, God. I mean, it's it's bad enough that he wants to rebuke Jesus because Jesus says that he's going to, cr- to the cross in Jerusalem. He's now saying to God, couldn't possibly do that, God. You must have that mixed up in some way. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice says this, verse 15, this is the important bit. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. But we're also told three times he had to be told this. And even at the end of three times, he still didn't get it. Three times, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Three times, what else happened three times? That Peter denies Jesus. Well, the men arrive at Cornelius' house just at this same time while Peter's trying to ponder what this vision is all about. Now, bear in mind, he still doesn't get it at this point. And there's a two-stage process to Peter actually understanding what this vision is about. He's seen the vision, the sheep, the animals, but he doesn't get what it means. Step number one is there in verse number 28. He arrives at Cornelius' house and look at what it is that he says when he gets there. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Now, he's got part of it. He kind of understands. Not bad so far. He gets a little bit of what it is that God is trying to do. Don't call Gentiles unclean if God says they're clean. Peter's willing to go there. But look at what he says there. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Now think about Peter in the rest of the book of Acts so far. Back in Jerusalem, this guy could not stop telling people about Jesus. Anyone who stood still long enough would get to hear about Jesus from Peter. He had been arrested for telling people about Jesus. He had been beaten up for telling people about Jesus. He'd been thrown into prison twice for telling people about Jesus. He can't stop talking about Jesus until he gets to Cornelius' house. And he doesn't feel he's got anything to say to Cornelius. So why is it that you asked me to come? Now that he's out of Jerusalem... Now that he's among Gentiles, he doesn't feel like he has a message for these people. Peter can't think why he would be there at Cornelius' house. So Cornelius explains to him the vision that he had. 
And this is the last thing that Cornelius says, verse number 33, part by through that verse. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Here's step two. So now Peter gets it. Now he understands. First thing was to understand that if God says they're not, they're, un, they're, they're clean, then they're clean. But the second thing is to understand that this message is for everybody. There it is, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. It's not just mixing with Gentiles, which he would have previously considered unclean. It's sharing the gospel with Gentiles that he would have also considered unclean. So Peter tells them about Jesus. And then jump down and look at what happens. Verse number 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Holy Spirit is given to these people in a very dramatic way. doesn't always happen that way in Acts. There's loads of passages where people hear the message about Jesus and they believe and they receive the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't even say that. Their lives are changed in a very undramatic way, but here it happens in a dramatic way. And it happens in a dramatic way a couple of times in the book of Acts. We've already seen one at Pentecost happened in an incredible way there, God's Spirit being poured out. But God's spirit is being poured out here in a dramatic way. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that verse 45. The circumcised believers, that is Jewish people who've become followers of Jesus, they were the ones who came with Peter to see what was happening here at Cornelius' house. They are astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. This is a huge turning point for Peter and a huge turning point for the church. He now realises that this message is for all nations, for everybody. See, up to that point, he'd been excited about telling Jewish people about Jesus, but now he realises that there's a whole Gentile world out there that needs to hear about Jesus as well. In the uh, past two weeks... I've had uh, some dealings with Centrelink. Um, it was just one small thing that I needed to sort out. It has resulted in four telephone calls that have totaled around about three and a half, four hours on the phone, and three visits to the Centrelink office, uh, and spent more than three hours down there in the waiting room and talking with the staff down at Centrelink as well. Dealing with bureaucracy can be a very slow and a very painful thing. And the sad thing is that when you turn to Acts chapter 11, we see that the bureaucracy is already there in the church as well. It's a little bit disappointing, but have a look at what we read. News comes through to Jerusalem about Peter and what had happened down at Cornelius' house. 
And some of the boys in head office aren't terribly happy. Verse number one. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And you would love the next sentence to read, and they praised God and rejoiced. But that's not what we read. We read this. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, you went into the house of of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Did you notice that it's actually circumcised believers? These people have a genuine faith in Jesus. That's not in question. They are believers. They're just having a bit of a struggle shaking off their Jewish background. They are annoyed that Peter would go into the house of a Gentile and doubly annoyed that he would eat with them. Well, Peter tells them the whole story about what happened, but the most important thing he says is this, and it's down in verse number 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on then as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? See, now he's truly got it, hasn't he? He realises that God's got it right and he needs to get on board with God's program. The Gentiles are in. They are part of God's people. They've received the same Holy Spirit that the apostles did at Pentecost. Do you see what it said there in verse 18? When they heard this, they raised no further objections. I feel like it should actually say... They raise no further objections at this time. Because as we read on in the book of Acts, and as you read through the pages of the New Testament, it's going to continue to be the big problem for the church. It's going to be the thing that they will continue to struggle with. It's what the whole of the book of Galatians is written about. And it's what Romans is written for, to explain these differences between Jews and Gentiles, and to help them see that faith in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives is the thing that they share together. I think we can look at Peter in the church in Jerusalem and kind of think, you know, poor old bullfed Peter, he's a bit slow on the uptake again. But I think we need to actually tread carefully because I think sometimes we can be a little bit like the church in Jerusalem. We're not insisting that people be Jewish in order to become Christians, but we do insist on some other things whether we insist on it kind of knowingly or kind of subconsciously. We may set other criteria for people. We sometimes give the impression that you need to be middle class if, you need, if you'd like to become a Christian. We can sometimes give the impression that you need to dress the right way if you would like to become a Christian. I, I know I've told the story before, but I remember it's such a sad story. A lady in our church up on the north coast was telling me that when she was in primary school, so this is many years ago, She had a friend at school who desperately wanted to come to church and come to Sunday school with her. But they weren't a 